Good to see all of you here today. Happy Father's Day to the dads. But as many of you know, we are celebrating Mother's Day today because we didn't get to do that together on Mother's Day. And so we're celebrating moms, dads, and grads, okay? So what we're doing is we got flowers for the moms after the service. You're gonna be exiting that way when you leave. And there's flowers for the moms, very shareable treats for the dads, okay? Uh, Beef jerky and candy, very shareable treats for the dads. No complaining, I see people, you know, giving me the eye right now. Not the moms, the dads are. And then for grads, we're going to, in fact, is there any grads with us today? You've graduated high school, college, or postgraduate degree. Go ahead and stand up. Congratulations to the, to the grads right here. That's right, on this side over here, got all these grads. Good job, good job. And I know that the grads are getting journals in their different ministries this week, so they want to do that personally with you. So uh, your dad's going to probably be sharing, your dad's sharing snacks with you. All right, right? Right, dads? All right. Okay, so we are here. This is the third week under the tent. We're so glad to be here. What a privilege uh, to gather together, worship, praise Jesus together with all of our hearts. This is what we get to do. Uh, no matter where we are, how we gather, we are committed to being a Christ-centered community. And it's very intent on proclaiming the gospel and making disciples and sacrificially serving Jesus. Those aren't just words we say. Uh, those are words we want to live by. And um, also, if you're new to Grace, we're not expecting you to give. But if you are a regular at Grace, there are giving boxes in the back. And you can also do online and uh, by mail. But thank you for giving cheerfully and generously, as you always do. Um, you know we need the gospel always. We need to be anchored in the Word of God. Today I'll be preaching uh, for the third time, third week in a row, on who we are and why we gather. Today on following the faithful one. Following the faithful one. So I uh, want to make sure that uh, you get Hebrews 10, 19-25 ready in your Bibles for when I do scripture reading. And then I'll be preaching that today. So again, we're honoring moms and dads and grads. Flowers for the moms. Candy and uh, beef jerky for the dads. And... Journals for the grads this week. So uh, for, for our opening uh, scripture, go ahead and um, go ahead and stand with me, if you will. Psalm 145 says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on, the, on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the mighty deeds that you have done and I will declare your greatness. And it's our privilege today to declare the greatness of God, amen. Let's pray together as we start. Lord, thank you for the privilege of gathering together today. Lord, you are so good and kind to us. And by your grace and for your glory, Lord, uh, help us in our minds to keep remembering Jesus Christ risen from the dead. 
reigning and returning again. Lord, we look forward to Christ's return. And until that time, we pray in thankfulness and thanksgiving, thanksgiving and on hope, uh, knowing that you will continue to use your spirit, uh, your, using the word in our lives for your people, for your glory, for our good. Uh, Lord, as your spirit uses the word in our hearts today, may we be transformed. May we be strengthened in our faith. I pray, Lord, by your, by your sovereign will, you would save and sanctify as you see fit. I thank you, Lord, that you open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. I pray that that would be true as well today. Our desire, Lord, is to honor you in our hearts, in our homes, in this church, and to the ends of the earth, Lord. May all we do in this place bring glory to you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you join us as we sing?
righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but only lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand.
go ahead and remain standing and open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, please. I'm going to read verses 19 through 25. The reading of God's inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God, the only perfect part of our worship. And we trust that the Spirit of God is going to use the Word of God in the lives of the people of God, all for God's glory. So hear the Word. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is God's word. And please have a seat. I'm going to go now to a time of prayer. And as I pray, I want you to keep in mind the upheaval in our world, in our hearts, in our homes. Um, and life is intensely personal, and we are all dealing uh, with things, okay? And, and we want to look to God alone who can change our hearts, and who can do a work in us that cannot be done uh, by willpower, okay? Uh, you've got a lot of voices screaming for your attention right now. We want to listen to the Word of God. We want to listen to what God has to say. And so, um, yes, we're, we're in the midst of a lot of upheaval, but we're also praising God in this worship service. And when we're under this tent, we're united by the blood of Christ, amen? united by the blood of Jesus. You got so many ideas, so many viewpoints, so many opinions and understandings, multiple views, but we unite under the blood of Christ. And so we also are remembering moms today. As I mentioned at the beginning, we're remembering moms because we didn't get to celebrate Mother's Day together as a church. So we got flowers for the moms today. And we're going to celebrate dads today as well. We've got some shareable gifts for them. And then grads. And so we've got a lot of things going on in life um, but as we go to prayer, uh, keep in mind, we look to God who alone can change hearts. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that we can come to you and read your word and sing your praises and pray. And we thank you that you are almighty. Thank you that you are with us. Thank you, Lord, that we can worship you, that you allow us to worship you. You are great and you are greatly to be praised. Uh, your greatness, as you have told us, is unsearchable. And we thank you for your goodness, your greatness, your majesty, your kindness, your mercy, your grace, your justice, your righteousness, your truth. We, we praise you for who you are and what you do, Lord. We are absolutely dependent upon you for every breath. We thank you, Lord, that your mercies are new every morning and that your faithfulness is very, very great. 
And Lord, we come to you today um, humbly because we're burdened by our sins. And we thank you, Lord, that you, by in your kindness, lead us to repentance, that you invite us to come to you. And Lord, we pray that we would uh, confess our sins and knowing that you are faithful and you are just and you will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it's all based on the shed blood of Christ in our place at the cross. And so we praise you. We thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you are in control of all things. Thank you that you know what you are doing and you know even what you want to do in our hearts, in our homes, in our lives, and to the ends of the earth. Lord, we come to you today as a people burdened we want to respond biblically, not as our hearts are tempted to respond. I pray, Lord, that you would give us peace and clarity in this moment of not only national and international turmoil, but personal turmoil and the regular things that go on in every heart and every home. I pray, Lord, that the people that profess faith in you would not let the sun go down on their anger, that we would not give the devil an opportunity, that we would never pay back evil for evil to anyone, that we'd never take our own revenge, but that we would trust you, that we would weep with those who weep, that we would mourn with those who mourn, that we would rejoice with those who rejoice, that we would be wise, that we would be humble, that we would be prayerful, that we would wait upon you, and that we would live in hope, that we would speak your world, your word in this world, and that we would have discernment. Lord, I thank you for the moms among us. Uh, I pray that they would be honored and cherished, uh, that their servant-hearted giving would be rewarded by you, but would also be acknowledged by those they serve. Uh, I pray that their gifts would be exercised in, in gospel ministry that honors you and reaches many. I pray for our dads, Lord, that, that dads would step up to courageously lead as servant leaders, that we would look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, that we would show a model of humility and boldness. I pray for our, our grads, Lord, our graduates, and I pray that they would make a difference in the world, however you lead them and guide them and protect and provide for them. I pray that you'd give them strength and wisdom and clarity to go against the flow of anti-biblical agendas, that they would hold firmly to your word, that they would love you with all their heart, mind, and soul, and strength as you provide. Thank you, Lord, that in your grace and in your mercy, you, you keep reminding us that our sin is at the heart of all of our problems, and that the gospel, your eternal gospel, is the only real answer to the personal and the social problems that exist in this world. May we not be ashamed of the gospel, and may it make a difference as we live it out in our homes, in our neighborhoods, wherever you lead us. Thank you, Lord, that one day every wrong will be made right, everything crooked will be made straight, every injustice will be rectified. I pray, Lord, that in light of this world in which we live, that we would see and feel everything through the filter of your truth, that we would be angered at what angers you, that we would rejoice at what brings you joy. I pray, Lord, that our attitudes, our emotions, our actions would be governed by submission to you and your word, and that your name would be honored, that your name would be glorified, and that the gospel truth would go forth from us with clarity and kindness and boldness during this time. Lord, use us for your glory. 
And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. of us here gathered in person and for each that's listening now. Father, would, would you be glorified in us? Would your name be made great? Would Christ be magnified because of the body of believers and because of the individuals here at Grace? Would we go forth and make much of Jesus both now and forever? We ask this. We pray this all by the blood and in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
the world in this moment is at a tipping point. I was saying to Angela just the other day, I, I feel like I'm watching the world implode. I'm watching America cave in on itself. The world is at a tipping point. A biblical faithfulness at an all-time low. Upside-down worldviews, upside-down morals, deceptive influences, both nationally and locally, and probably most concerning, personally, in our hearts. The Supreme Court declaring immorality right. Cities pushing anti-Christian policies and ideologies. People intimidating people into silence, even in this church, celebrating unjust decisions and declarations. Christians agreeing with anti-biblical worldviews. Christians rushing to defend unbiblical ideas, yet strangely silent or twisting biblical ideals. Christians unlovingly judging each other. We're at a tipping point, folks. And we need faithfulness. Faithfulness. Is anyone faithful? Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. There's a yearly contest in England called The World's Biggest Liar. You have five minutes to tell the biggest whopper you can. Five minutes to tell the most convincing lie. No politicians or lawyers allowed. Seriously, it's in the rules. No politicians or lawyers allowed because they're too good at lying. A man once won the contest with the shortest speech ever, I have never told a lie in my life. He's a big liar. Once the contest was ruined by cheating allegations. To be faithful is to be trustworthy. To be able to be trusted. 150 years ago, 1872, uh, the Washburn Expedition uh, traveled the, the Yellowstone River. And they found this huge geyser that was uh, spouting and shooting water 100 plus feet into the air. And they figured, they figured out that they could predict the timing of the eruptions within a few moments, a few minutes. So they named it Old Faithful. Old faithful is trustworthy. We are not. We believe the biggest lie ever told. Satan's lie. You shall surely not die. Has God really said that? People are questioning the word of God left and right. The devil, Jesus said, is a liar and the father of lies. The opposite of faithful. Romans 3 tells us, ask the question, what if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? Like, is God's faithfulness hanging in the balance on whether you are faithful or not? And here's the answer. By no means. By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. I'm preaching to a, a tent full of liars today. You're hearing a sermon from a liar. But we can trust God who is faithful. Look at Hebrews 10.23. This is our third week going through this passage. I want you to put your eyes on verse 23. It says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope 
without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. That shapes who we are and why we gather. We belong to Christ to worship Christ. We are eternally unforsaken and undivided. Therefore, we are not to forsake fellow Christians. We are not to divide the church. All because, and this is what I want you to see today, all because God is faithful. There's your worldview. Faithful is he who promised. What I want to do today is really break that phrase down. He who promised is faithful. Break that statement down. It answers three questions. Who is he? What does he do? What is he like? Who is he? What does he do? What is he like? He who promised is faithful. So first, who is he? Who is being referred here to here? What is, who is being referred to here is a real personal being. Almighty, triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our sovereign king, our unquestioned authority of every Christian. Deuteronomy 7 verse 9 calls him the faithful God. Keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations, literally uncountable generations. God is faithful. The psalmist in Psalm 71 verse 22 proclaimed, I will praise you for your faithfulness, O oh my God. And the reason he could praise God for his faithfulness is because God is faithful. He has confidence based on God's faithfulness. So Hebrews 4.16 tells us we can come boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need because of God's faithfulness. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis 15, we see something very remarkable. First, we see a, a covenant that God is making with Abram. You'll notice that it starts where it says in verse 1 of Genesis 15 that these thing, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. So God is speaking to him and said, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. And Abram asks a question. He says, Time out. Are you sure? He asked God, God, what will you give me? I want proof. I continue childless. The heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. You have given me no offspring. What's remarkable about, remarkable about this is that God has told Abram, your reward will be very great. And Abram knows he's talking about progeny. He knows he's talking about children. He's talking about a covenant promise for the future. And he says, you haven't given me any children. How are you going to bring this about? And God says, this man shall not be your heir. Your own son shall be your heir. And he takes him outside at nighttime. And he says, just look up into the sky. If you can count all those stars, you'll figure out how many descendants you're going to have. What's remarkable is that he asks God for evidence and God mercifully gives it. God doesn't say, you know what, Abram? Sit down and shut up. I'm in charge here. No, he, he lets him ask the question and remarkably he gives them the answer and, and, he, he, and here's what God does. He then makes a unilateral covenant, a one-sided covenant. And he says, I'm faithful. I will do what I said I will do. 
and it will take nothing from Abram and Sarah for it to come to pass. All they will need to do is believe it. And so God does, uh, according to the custom of that time, he walked between animal halves, and he basically says, if I don't keep my word, it's my life. And he commits to keep his word unilaterally because God keeps covenant because God is faithful. And all they had to do was trust it. That's why you see in Genesis 15, 6, and Abram believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. There's your justification by faith. The question for you today is, can you believe that God is faithful even when you still haven't found what you're looking for? Can you believe that God is faithful? That God is not partial? That he isn't just faithful to some and unfaithful to others? That God is good even if he gives and, or takes or withholds? That he's not a genie, he's not a prosperity God? That we are not to judge God based on what you don't get? Psalm 9, verse 10 says, Those who know your name, O God, put their trust in you, O Lord, and you have not forsaken those who seek you. It's that God tells us over and over again, you can trust me. My word is faithful. My word is true. I'm with you. Do not fear. I will bring it to pass. The creator of the universe, the initiator of salvation, the sustainer of all, can be trusted. It's like the strongest alloy in the world. Think of the strongest metal in the world, and it cannot break, and there's no weakness in it. God is stronger. God is fully guaranteed to come through on his word. Who is he? He's Almighty God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is personal. He is real. He is present. He is active. He is strong. But what does he do? What does he do? He makes covenant promises. He makes promises by covenant that are not broken. You're making promises all the time. You're saying you're going to do something, and then you go back on your word. We all do that. But God doesn't. God makes promises by covenant. I mentioned this last week, but in Hebrews what you'll notice is the, the whole book of Hebrews is, is drenched in the word of God. It starts in Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. God spoke. God spoke long ago through the prophets in many portions and in many ways. That's the Old Testament. And then in verse 2, in these last days he has spoken to us in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom he made the world. And then verse 3, Jesus Christ holds all things together by the word of his power. That's how Hebrews starts. It's drenched in the word of God. That every promise is sure. That nothing budges with God. That everything is fixed with God. You know, things break in our lives. Relationships break. Your house breaks. Your car breaks. Your heart breaks. But God and his promises never budge. And so you get into Hebrews chapter 2. And what you'll notice is we are to hear and listen and to receive the word of God. Hebrews 2.1 says we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. We're to hear it, receive it, trust it, and obey it. Hebrews 2.2 says the word spoken through angels proved unalterable. God's word is not changing. It's steadfast, it's firm, it's secure, and it's not going anywhere. And that every disobedience received just penalty. And then 
Hebrews 2.3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation that has been spoken by God and that has been confirmed? You get into chapters 3 and 4 and it's about hearing the voice of God, hearing God's word that is living, that is active, that is sharper, that is piercing, that is discerning, that is exposing, that is sovereignly saving, that is sanctifying powerfully. Hebrews 12.25 says, See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Don't refuse the word of God. Don't push back against the word of God. How many people are like the people at Babel who basically say, I'm over the word of God and I know everything about it. And they're telling God what to do all the time. We're under God and we're under his word. The Joshua 21.45 says, Not one word of all the good promises that he gave to the house of Israel failed. Not one word. All came to pass. Joshua 23, 14 says, Not a word failed. Not a jot, not a tittle. Not one part of what God said he would do failed. Because he's faithful. And we're living in an unfaithful world. With unfaithful hearts. But our hope, our gospel hope, is built on the faithfulness of God. It's built on God's faithfulness. And so this passage of scripture, look at verse 19, Hebrews 10, 19. And I mentioned the very first week as we were looking at this, that chapters 1 through 10 up to this point of Hebrews sums up the entire book. And it's this, Christ's superiority. Jesus is better and stronger and greater than all. And so verse 19 says, since we have confidence to enter God's presence by the blood, by the blood of our Savior Jesus, And verse 21 says, since we have a great priest, who's our advocate, by the way, our our advocate with the Father, and this great priest is over God's house. That's a key phrase, God's house, the church, the true church that's comprised of true believers. And and the Lord, the great priest, is over this house. Hebrews 2.17 calls him a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people, to make that mercy seat sacrifice for the sins of the people. And so you get to verse 22. Look at verse 22. So let us draw near. Let us draw near in full assurance of faith. Hebrews 7.19 says, The law made nothing perfect, but a better hope is introduced. A better hope. A, A hope that is fixed. It's fixed on the faithfulness of God. And it says, through that hope, through that better hope, we draw near to God. Draw near is the phrase that you need to grasp. This is the writer of Hebrews, once again, inviting everyone in that assembly who had not come to faith in Christ to come to faith in Christ. The writer of Hebrews was very evangelistic. And and he invites all who would not come to Christ. It's just like the first book of the New Testament that was written, the book of James, in chapter 4, verse 8, it tells us that you are to draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And the idea is, if you don't draw near to God in faith, he will draw near to you in judgment. And so you need to come to faith in Christ. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The psalmist Asaph said in Psalm 73, 28, draw near to God. Draw near to God. And so the the writer of Hebrews gives this end times invite We're living in the end times between Christ's first and second comings. The end times invite. In fact, the writer of Hebrews said in chapter 1, verse 2, in these last days God has spoken through his son. 
And so you, you draw near to God in full assurance of faith, persuaded, convinced of the truthfulness of God, where you rely upon Christ for salvation. So since the writer of Hebrews was giving that end time salvation um, invitation to all in the assembly who had still not come to faith in Christ, I have to give it to you. And I gotta say to you, I don't know if you're saved or not. And if you're not saved by Jesus, if you're not trusting in the finished work of Christ on the cross for your sins, in your place, that Jesus died in your place at the cross, that he shed his blood, he took your place. Your sins deserve hell. And Jesus took your sins upon himself. The sinless savior took his sins upon, took your sins upon himself. And he died. A death had to take place. God had to judge sin. And he judged sin in the person of Jesus Christ, God incarnate, come to earth to save sinners, among whom Paul says, I'm the foremost of all. Anyone whose heart has been broken by gospel truth feels like they're the worst sinner of all. You need to come to Christ. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You need to surrender to Christ, to yield your life to Christ. True believers never tire of hearing those words. They rejoice. Their, their heart thrills over the gospel truth. They're relying upon Christ. So they come to him in full assurance of faith. That's why Hebrews 11 just starts and says, let's talk about faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Why? Because God is faithful. And then the next phrase in, in verse 22 is interesting. It says, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Kind of weird wording for us in 2020, but the Hebrews knew. This takes you back to the Old Testament sacrificial ceremony where the blood is sprinkled for forgiveness, symbolizing forgiveness. It says our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. This is like 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to God, we admit that we're sinners, that he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is like Peter saying in 1 Peter 1, 2, he's writing to the elect exiles. And he says, it, you're, you're elect by the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled by his blood. The idea is the only way to come into the presence of God is to be under the blood of Christ. That's real faith in Christ, where you're trusting in the finished work of Christ on the cross in your place, shedding his blood for you. Now you notice the next phrase says, and our bodies washed with pure water. That's not baptism. A lot of people think that's baptism. It's a sign of cleansing. In the Old Testament system, the priests would wash themselves and the sacred vessels in basins of water. But this is not baptism. This is God's spirit purifying your soul with the word of God. This is like Ezekiel 36, 25 and 26, where God says, I will do this. I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will clean you from all your uncleanness. I will clean you from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. It's the spirit indwelt church of the living God. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, it says that he saves us not by works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration, where God causes the dead to live. 
spiritually and renewal of the Holy Spirit as your mind is being renewed by the Word of God through the Spirit of God. God, to be faithful to his covenant, had to judge sin. So he judged sin at the cross on Christ, the sinless Savior, in place of lost sinners. This takes you back to 1 Samuel 2.35, where God said, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to all my will, all my heart, all my mind. I will build him a sure house. House is key. Look at verse 21, Hebrews 10.21. We have a great priest over the house of God, over the, the true church of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Revelation 1.5 calls Jesus Christ the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, ruler of kings who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood. The cross, the curse of death fell on Christ by his choice, by his will, and death could not hold him. And therefore, every believer has access granted, entrance into God's presence permitted, that God did what was needed to save us and sanctify us and secure us forever. Another would have changed his mind. Any of us would have changed the terms. But what our king says goes. It doesn't budge. Psalm 119, verses 89 and 90 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. It's not changing. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. That's why you can be here in 2020 as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and know that your salvation is secure. Revelation 3, 14 says, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness. Revelation 22, 6, these words are trustworthy. They are faithful and they are true. We make promises. We break our promises. We pledge our loyalty, then we double cross. But there are many trustworthy people because God is faithful. But some people, you cannot trust them. But God is, is like a, a fully covered, amazing insurance policy. Now, we have insurance policies that you find out that, well, it doesn't cover that. Oh, you thought it covered this? It doesn't. But God covers everything, and, and it doesn't make you sinless. It makes you confident in Almighty God. We live in a world that is shredded by hopelessness and shredded by despair, and we get to profess the hope that we have in a faithful God because God is faithful. You're, we're living in dangerous times. Let me tell you the most dangerous thing for a Christian right now in this moment. The most dangerous thing for you if you're a Christian is that you would listen to the thousands of voices that are clamoring for you to believe what they want you to believe and you put that over the word of God. If you, if you are tempted right now to say, I'm going to put my Bible study aside until we get through this moment in time, you are in danger. You're going to be tempted to listen to the many voices trying to make you think like them. The question for you is, are you being shaped by the world or shaped by the word of God? The world is fickle. God is faithful. Who is he? He is personal, almighty God 
What does he do? He promises covenantally. He, he has spoken. What's he like? What's he like? He's faithful. He is faithful. He keeps his word. Faithful comes from the word for faith. Faithful means to be trustworthy, to be trusted, to be trusty, to be trustful, to be worthy of trust, loyal, constant, steadfast, unwavering. In Hebrews 3, 2, it says that Jesus was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Here's an interesting differentiation between Moses and Jesus because remember, Jesus is God and he's greater than all. Hebrews 3, 5, and 6, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. What does that mean? It means that Jesus is faithful over God's house as God himself because he is God himself and we are his house. Hebrews 3, 6 says, we are his house if we hold fast our covenant confident hope. See, his faithfulness drives your faith. The only way you wake up in the morning with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is because of God's faithfulness. In Hebrews 11, 11 tells us that by faith, Sarah, now it takes us back to Genesis 15 and that remarkable promise. By faith, Sarah received power to conceive when past the age of childbearing because she considered him faithful who had promised. In Revelation 19, verse 11, there's a scene where heaven is opened and there is a white horse. The one sitting on the white horse is called faithful and true. And by the way, God is not faithful because you feel he is faithful. He is faithful because he says he is faithful. So whatever perseverance is happening in your life as a Christian, if you're continuing on in Christ, it's because God is faithful. That your perseverance is based on the faithfulness of God. If you're sitting here today and you have faith in Jesus Christ, it's because God is faithful. You know, it tells us in these verses to hold fast our confession. That doesn't mean you keep yourself saved. This is the human side of eternal security. It's not to stay saved. It's evidence of salvation. If you continue on in Christ, it's proof you're saved by Jesus, the faithful one. You'll go through persecution. 2 Timothy 3 tells us that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. 1 Peter 4.19 says, whoever suffers according to the will of God Just entrust your soul to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Just keep doing the next right thing. God's got you. God's covered you. You're going to have temptations come your way. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to mankind. And what? God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but will with the temptation provide a way of escape also that you would be able to endure it. It's because of God's faithfulness that you can live your life not blaming other people, but blessing people. It's because of God's faithfulness that you can live your life not complaining about everything, but being courageous. It's because of God's faithfulness that you can live your life not staying hurt about everything, but helping people. It's because of God's faithfulness that you don't quit. 
you allow God to quiet your heart. It's because of God's faithfulness that you don't live as a victim, but you live victorious in Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, he who calls you is faithful. He's faithful. He will surely do it. You're confident in God. In fact, these verses, you got faith in verse 22, you got hope in verse 23, and you've got love in verse 24. You got the trifecta of God-given grace all right there in these verses because God is faithful. Revelation 2.10 says, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. The question is, do you believe that God will fulfill his promises? Do you believe that? We're told in Titus 1.9 to hold firm to the trustworthy word. Hebrews 10.35 says, you have need of endurance. So when you have done the will of God, you will receive what was promised. See, Jesus is coming back. You know, we live as if he's not coming back. Sometimes we even kind of hope that he doesn't too soon. Oh, I want to get married. I want to have more kids. I want to do this. I want to do that. I hope he doesn't come back yet. It's a worldly view of the promises of God. And it's understandable, but our minds should be changed. He's coming back and I'm going to live by faith. Unwavering, not shrinking back, pressing on. It's like R.C. Sproul said, the promises of God for tomorrow are the anchor for believers today. It's like Hebrews 6.19, this hope we have in Christ is an anchor for our souls. This is what keeps you tethered. This tent is put up by people, but they secured it really well with tent pegs and tethers and all sorts of things. No fear. It's okay. It's all good. Warranties run out. I mean, oh, it was a limited lifetime warranty. Businesses closed left and right. Everything man-made has an expiration date on it, including you and I. And there's always some reason to void the guarantee. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, if we are faithless, God remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. God remains faithful. In the gospel... It must make a difference in your life today, not just for eternity, not just, well, you know, someday I'll live godly. I want to give you two timely applications for the moment in which we're living. We don't want to be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal and say we believe a faithful God and not live it out. We want to honestly live lovingly. So two timely applications, one with, about your worldview and another about your encouragement of others. Let's talk about worldview. A biblical worldview is based on the faithfulness of God. And all believers are new creatures in Christ. They have their eternity and their worldview changed by the gospel. We're born again to a living hope. We're repenting. We're, our minds are being transformed by the Spirit through the Word. So what do you do in this moment? There's racial upheaval in our land. There is social upheaval in our land. There is relational tension in our land and in your heart and in your home. And by the way, if you don't think we're living in the, in the last days, think about this. The love of many Christians is growing cold. Christians are finding it very easy to not live in peace and to dismiss one another. God condemns racism. God condemns hatred. God condemns partiality. God condemns injustice. God condemns unlove. God condemns false judgment. We need to agree with God. 
God made from one blood all nations, Acts 17, 26. What does the gospel do? The gospel dismantles hatred and partiality. By the way, God always had the nations lovingly in mind. Here's how it should be. Welcome to Christianity, new believer. Here's your worldview. He who promised is faithful. There's your worldview. The sovereign God is faithful to his word and his people. Bible-believing Christians are to reject worldviews that are opposed to the Bible. Consumerism and humanism and neo-Marxism and anything that resembles Babel, where you usurp God's rule and put man over God. Our worldview is Christ crucified, risen, reigning, and coming again, who saves by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And we are to be engaged in good. What does that mean on the macro level? You love all people in your heart. You don't harbor any hatred for anyone. You love and honor all people on the macro level. They are God's image bearers. You know what that means on the micro level? Oh, it gets tougher. You love and honor all people that are right in front of you. In your personal relationships, you have to live it. You have to do the one another's. So interesting, everyone wants to talk about what's going on out there and they can't do the one another's with the church. And they can't show consideration and kindness for all in their neighborhood. Just start there. Like I said last week, just go small ball first. Okay? If you focused on Jesus and the gospel and you're praying fervently and you're proclaiming the gospel and you're loving people, you're not going to get messed up by all the isms that displease God. You'll be too busy with ministry to falsely judge people. And when you falter, you'll repent. That's what Christians do. By the grace of God, your worldview must drive your actions right now. And by the way, your worldview is driving your actions right now. What about encouragement? Let's talk about encouragement. Your encouragement of others is based on the faithfulness of God. If you're not encouraging anybody in your life, you're not believing that God is faithful. I know we're living in discouraging times. I know that. Romans 15, 4 through 6 tell us this. What was written before, written in former days, was written for our instruction, that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we would have hope. And then Paul prays this prayer for the church. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in Christ that together with one voice you would glorify God. This is like Jesus saying, let your good works show in such a way that people will glorify your Father in heaven. That they won't glorify you. So here's how you're supposed to live. You got to have one eye on your watch, okay? One eye on the clock. Remember, verse 25 says, as you see the day drawing near. Encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need the mutual encouragement of verse 25 in action in the church. Who was it modeled by really well in scripture? Barnabas. His nickname is Son of Encouragement. He lived up to his name. He helped Paul when he was a newcomer to the church. He helped Mark uh, to the point of splitting with Paul. He, he saw God's grace at work in the fledgling church in Antioch. You know what we need? We need a whole church of Barnabases. We need a whole church of Barnabas clones following Jesus fully, busy in Jesus' kingdom work, and that you would encourage other people, that you would love other people, that you would not dismiss other people, that you would be hopeful about people, that you would not judge their hearts, that you would not do the negative talk about people, that you would listen, that you would empathize, that you would try to understand. Because if you're gospel-drenched, 
you will not be threatened by other people's views because God is faithful and his word is true. By the way, we live in a moment right now where there's a lot of atonement being called for in the public square with absolutely no concept of forgiveness. That is a dead end. That is a man-made dead end where you're saying, you must pay for this, but there's no forgiveness for you. Only the gospel, only the gospel gives mercy and grace. So let the gospel just penetrate this moment like oil on rust. Let it penetrate your heart where you would acknowledge agony, but not live in partiality, not giving sinful preference. You follow the one who was falsely judged in your place, who was condemned for you. So you get judged or condemned for loving other people. Let it be. Hebrews 10.23, he who promised is faithful. He is God. He makes covenant promises. He's faithful to those promises. He's faithful to his word. He's faithful to his people. And this is in a moment right now where we're living when the world is at a tipping point. We're watching the world cave in before our very eyes. America is imploding. And do we believe that he who promised and gave us his word is faithful. These are the end times, folks, before the first and second comings of Christ. And we're living with the pain and the stain of sin. Sin looks unstoppable at this moment, but the spirit indwelt church is here for such a time as this. The judge is standing at the door, as James puts it. And who are we? And why do we gather? We belong to Christ to worship Christ. We're unforsaken eternally. We're undivided eternally. Don't forsake your brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't divide your brothers and sisters in Christ. We follow the faithful one. We're to remain faithful. When I was a kid, I was told that George Washington never told a lie. They told me that in school. They said he chopped down his daddy's cherry tree and that he said to his dad, I cannot tell a lie, I did it. If I did some sleuthing, I did some digging on this story. Not true, didn't happen. Supposedly, he did damage his dad's cherry tree with the hatchet, didn't chop it down. But he didn't say, I cannot tell a lie. I think he knew by self-aware enough to know he was a liar like everybody else. That was added, by the way. That line was added in the fifth edition of a story of his life in the 1800s, okay? Abraham Lincoln, honest Abe. Who wouldn't love a title like that, right? He worked very hard to maintain his reputation as an honest politician and lawyer. God bless him. But everyone is a liar except for God. And we follow the faithful one as the world implodes. I'm following Jesus, not you. I love you. I care about you. But we live in, in faithless, fatherless, fictional, free-falling America the beautiful. Land I love land many bled and died for. But it's not the country that believers were reborn for. God consistently promised through history to redeem his people and remake the world. We today are longing for the city that has not been stained with sin. Here we have no lasting city. 
We seek the city to come, the city of God, the heavenly Jerusalem, where people from all nations will be around the throne. And he who sits on the throne will say, I am making all things new. And these words are trustworthy and true. Amen? Amen. He is faithful. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you who promised are faithful. Thank you, Lord, that as the day draws near, you are still sovereign over all. You made the world. You'll restore it. You'll do everything you promised. You are the king who owns the church, and you will bring everything to its fitting conclusion. And for that, we praise you, and we thank you, and we worship you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're able, would you stand and join us as we close with uh, Come Thou Fount. We follow the faithful one. 
Next week, we'll be back in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 8. A time for everything. Uh, registrations for church next week will open tomorrow. Um, when you exit today, please exit to your right playground side this way because the next group's coming in this way. Please exit quickly because they're going to be cleaning the chairs. Remember, moms, we've got flowers for you over here and over there. There's two little tables set up, big tables, whatever. And then the dads, your shareable treats are out there as well. And then grads, you'll get your journals and what have you uh, in your groups this week because they want to do that in person personally. So let's go ahead and close with Lamentations 3, 21 through 24. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Lord, we thank you that your steadfast love endures forever. Thank you for your mercies new every morning. Thank you, Lord, that your faithfulness is so great and abundant. Let me praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.